2: wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help.
1: Good morning. Good morning. By golly, here we are on Memorial Day. We are having a show. We're going to have a great show today. Been wanting to line this show up for a long time. I'll tell you about it in just a moment. Uh, This is uh, Professor Ward Scott, the Warthog in the Warthog Manly Man Cave, uh, here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida in God's Country, in the Melvin Law Studio, the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gators, and we're protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention, and brought to you by all the great sponsors you see scrolling by our screen from time to time, and of course, supported by our donors, you know who you are, we greatly appreciate that. Uh, Memorial Day is a special day, and <clears throat> a lot of people sort of uh, enjoy it, and we're enjoying good weather here, so there should be some good barbecue, et cetera, fun in Florida on the water, whatever, with friends and family. The uh, world go goes on, and I'm reminded when I went to military school, my military professors said to us, uh, you think that... Uh, Peace is a norm and war is the exception. Actually, they said it's the opposite. War is the norm and peace is the exception. And what they meant is any given moment, anywhere in the world, there are several wars going on. Always, constantly.
2: Now, the people who know that probably more
1: uh, professionally every day than regular normal people who live on land, Are the merchant marine people, because the world is divided up into, believe it or not, a gridlock of combat zones. And merchant marine people get extra pay when their ship sails through one of these combat zones. So they're practically always getting hazard pay because they're practically always at some point somewhere in the world sailing through a combat zone. I've always remembered that, and it's the exact opposite from what, you know, we like to think, that peace is a norm and war is the exception. And not all these wars are actually called wars. Uh, some of them are called something else. Uh, and we have all sorts of euphemisms, and sometimes we misuse the word war. We actually have war on poverty. Uh, that's not the right use of the word war. Uh, Celebrations similar to the one we're looking at today uh, really go back to the Greek and Roman times. Uh, supposedly, uh, they were some of the first to have a communal ceremony recognizing those who gave their life in war. And the Greeks and Romans were big on hosting these commemorations. Uh, one of the first Memorial Day celebrations in the United States, according to the research I've done, was by newly freed enslaved men, women, and children on May 1st, 1865, in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, the observance Memorial Day was originally known, evidently, as Decoration Day. Uh, By the late 1860s, uh, many Americans had begun hosting tributes to war's fallen soldiers by decorating their graves and with flowers and flags. Um, after a while, it became uh, a little more known nationwide as Memorial Day. Until in 1950, Congress passed a resolution requesting that the president issue a proclamation calling on Americans to observe Memorial Day as a day of prayer for permanent peace. And then in 1968, Congress passed. The Uniform Monday Holiday Act, which established Memorial Day as the last Monday in May in order to create a three day weekend for federal employees. Imagine that. But Memorial Day did not actually become an official federal holiday until 1971. Uh, <clears throat> apparently. In 1966, Waterloo, New York, was officially declared the originator of Memorial Day. And so there are many places in the U.S. that claim to be the first to celebrate Memorial Day. Um, But uh, in 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson actually signed legislation stating that Waterloo, New York, is the originator of Memorial Day in the U.S. So the first town, the town first observed a day to remember fallen soldiers on May 5th, 1866. Um, the, uh, America's participation, according to the research I've had here, is uh, in World War One sometimes takes a backseat to the Revolutionary War, the Civil War. World War II, and the Vietnam War. Um, It has helped establish some other American traditions, uh, including Veterans Day, which was originally called Armistice Day, and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. World War I also changed how Declaration Day, later known as uh, Memorial Day, is actually celebrated. Uh, that war was America's first major conflict since the Civil War. And the first major war fought exclusively on foreign soil. And in that World War One, more than 116,000 Americans died, according to PBS. So much of this I'm sharing with you is from History.com, which is tracing through this Rather interestingly enough, President Bill Clinton signed the National Moment of Remembrance Act in 2000, which asked Americans to pause and observe a national moment of remembrance at 3 p.m. their local time. And there's a number of organizations throughout the country that observe this moment, including Amtrak whose trains blast their whistles, and Major League Baseball and NASCAR. Cities across the country host Memorial Day parades, but some of the largest parades take place in Chicago, New York, and of course, Washington, D.C. In D.C., the National Memorial Day Parade hosts an audience of hundreds of thousands who watch as marching bands active duty and retired military units, youth groups, veterans, and floats head down Constitution Avenue. Now the president requests that all governors of the United States and the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico direct the flag to be flown at half staff until noon on Memorial Day on all buildings, grounds, and naval vessels. So U.S. citizens are also asked to display the flag at half-staff from their homes before noon as well. I pass that along to you because I found that rather interesting and um, something that you should uh, um, maybe be uh, mindful of. It helps enrich the meaning of the moment. At 9.15, if everything goes well, uh, I'm going to be introducing you uh, a gentleman who is uh, right now with the Florida National Guard in Del Rio, Texas, along the Rio Grande border. One of the things that's interesting about this is that some of the political talk has focused on DeSantis's attitude toward the Ukraine, what he supposedly said in the... Uh,
2: while he was in Congress, but here he is, the governor, and he has uh, the Florida National Guard in Del Rio, Texas, along the Rio Grande. Think about that. Also, the Florida National Guard has been, in the past, and I knew about this, but I couldn't get this worked out on the show, has been in Ukraine. And the gentleman today with us, who is attached to this unit, that is with the Foreign National Guard, and I'm going to get you his title just right here uh, for you. Being here if I can find it in my notes. He's operating in Del Rio at
1: Eagle Pass. They've been boots on the ground since Sunday 5-19 and they'll be there through 6-23. He's on active duty orders. He had to get clearance from the public affairs officer to do this show. Had to submit the request and wait for the military to approve it. Um, so um, just giving you that background material. And um, we were exchanging uh, on a secure line yesterday, a uh, comments pretty much through the day. He is uh, with the 53rd infantry brigade combat team, Florida army national guard. Um, his name is David Robertson. And uh, uh, we'll expect a call from him in about four minutes. So, uh, I just wanted to give you a warm-up on that and tell you that we've been working on this show, the possibility of doing this show, um, uh, in some form or another, for quite some time now. And uh, hopefully we're going to get that uh, done for you now in in a way that will uh really be interesting to you. I see Ken Hillier's here. I think you'll be interested in this show, Ken, and um uh you'll be uh uh, um, you won't be able to ask uh, this gentleman any questions because he'll be on the phone line uh, and he'll be talking from uh, the actual hotspot. I will have to sort of defer to him as to what he's allowed to talk about. Um, as I say, <clears throat> we had to get military clearance all the way up the line to have this show come live to you uh, from uh, Del Rio, Texas, along the Rio Grande border there at Eagle Pass. Uh, but I'm going to encourage him to also talk about the time he spent, which I know was considerable time,
2: in the Ukraine. We just never could do that show. I have, according to uh, my uh,
1: uh, clock here in uh, the studio, 913, we're not going to break at the traditional bottom of the hour because I want to engage uh, our guest uh continuously as long as we can since he is on active duty uh and hopefully he'll be able to spend a good half hour with us and we'll go straight through the break when we're finished we'll thank uh do our traditional weather and uh and whatnot that we generally do at the bottom of the hour so um i'm watching the chat line if you have any questions or anything you want to ask good morning jody um put them in the chat line of course um David will not see them. You'll see them and I'll pass them along, but I'm planning on just simply listening for a while and learning what he can say. Uh, I'll, as I say, have to defer to him as to what he can say. Uh, And it had to be clear before we did this show, but this is really special. Um, We, he and I have been talking about this kind of behind the scenes for quite some time. Um, And I thought Memorial Day would be a good time to have this occur. And uh, if the glitches are – no glitches today, well, in about a minute, we'll have him sign on. Um, I'm not going to do Coach Hogg's locker room today, obviously. Um, I think, by the way, the Celtics are going to win it all. Uh, They're a better team. But uh, Denver Nuggets will – can beat either team pretty easily, I think. That will be your champion uh, as far as I'm concerned. I'm never wrong, you know, simply – never never wrong. Now uh, my our guest is an hour behind us. So while uh, we're at 9:14 right now, it is 8:14 out there or in military time. Uh it's given in, in the hours as you know how to do that and hopefully. I used to do that, you know, all the time And when I was in the military school. Any questions here? Uh let me look at uh, good morning Larry Nagel. Um uh Let me take a look here and see if there's any questions you want on the live chat. Um It's 915. We'll see how this works. I'll kind of stay quiet. Of course, I have to
2: figure out a way to talk and uh, keep things going. But. Uh, <clears throat> is he on? Hello, David. Hey, good morning, Ward. How are you today, sir?
1: Boy, I knew right away you'd be punctual, buddy, right at, right at the appointed time. Uh, your ears should be burning. I've given a big a warm-up for you and uh, talked about how we've worked on getting this show together for a long time. My plan, David, is to go as long as you can go. We usually have a break at the bottom of the hour. We're not going to do that. We're going to go straight through around up till you have to go back and uh, do whatever it is you're doing. And I think hopefully we'll at least get a good half hour with you from what we've been communicating. That's kind of what we're looking for, at least. Does that sound doable?
0: Yes, sir. It sure does. And uh, Ward, I'd like to just start off by thanking you very much for for having me on the show today, uh, particularly giving given the significance of, of the day. So I, I just uh, I've been a longtime um, fan of the show. And I know from from listening all these years that your father served. So uh, in particular, we want to think about your family and And the uh, service uh, that your father um, um paid for for the country,
1: yes, that was a real real bloody experience for him David. I never realized it as a young kid uh how bad it was until I got much older and um began to read the newspaper articles of uh and the and the combat stories and it was just uh, i mean it was it was uh, it was not any it was all no holds barred. Let's put it that way. And um, I don't know where you'd like to start. I know. I don't know if you can talk about being in Ukraine for a while.
0: Um, if that's oh, sure, I, I would. I'd love to. That'd be great. Ward. I'd love to start off um, with talking about that experience. It was a, it was an amazing um, opportunity and very surreal to be in that part of the, the world when, when we were there. Um, a, a little history for, for and, and many of your audience may be familiar with this. Some of them, some of them may not be. Um, but the the unit that I'm with, with the Florida National Guard, we were deployed um, to the what's referred to as the Joint Multinational Training Group um, Ukraine, and that's a mission that really kicked off um, in 2014, uh, post Russia's uh, invasion. Seizure, if you will, of Crimea, uh, a portion of in southern Ukraine that that bordered Russia, Um, and that that mission um, is located. uh, The the headquarters of that mission, if you will, is located at the Combat Training Center in Yavoriv, Ukraine. That's about as far west in Ukraine, Ukraine. um, Ukraine, Can't speak this morning. As you can get very, very close to the uh, to the Polish border. And it's been manned over the years by regular um, Army active component Army units. Um, various National Guard units have rotated through that mission, um, and they're ten month to, to one year periods of time. And the the focus, uh, the real intent of that operation is to is to train and equip um, the armed forces of Ukraine. Really help them develop a a modern day. Uh, sufficient um, fighting force, and, and not just with with equipment and, and boots on the ground training, but also with their doctrine you know, how, how they how you fight a war. And um, so it really began years ago at, at the very lowest echelon of, of of the army unit, really at the platoon and squad level. So you you get that smaller unit to where they, they can function proficiently, communicate. Um, logistics, all of that type of stuff that goes into to fighting a, a modern day war, and then it it moves up from there to the company level to the battalion level, and I think the, the the Ukrainians made a lot of lot of headway, and I think we're seeing that now, and we've seen it now for over well over a year. Um, but anyway, we were, we were there, we left, uh, we arrived in Ukraine in very early November of 2000, seems like a long time ago, but very early November, 2021 and began the mission. Um, it, it, and things were going great. Um, of course we're keeping, not just we, but, um, um, the, the upper echelons of the United States military and the government were keeping an eye on Russia's increasing, Movement. Um, I think at that time uh, they had upwards of 100,000 troops right on the border with Ukraine. Um, Now, several hundred miles away from us, that that would be obviously in far eastern Ukraine, on with the border with Russia. Um, But we we continued the mission. We continued our daily mission and working with the Ukrainians um, at the combat training center, Um, and that continued uh, with no no real issues. Very successful mission. Until, um, I, don't, I don't recall the exact dates, Ward, but it was about the middle of February, of well, early February 22, um, the, the Russia's actions became, became more provocative, more troops along the border with Ukraine, as well as to the north in Belarus, more weaponry. Um, so, of course, we're keeping eyes on that type of um, intelligence every single day. And it and it got to the point in, in mid mid February we got the word from above that we were gonna have to reposition, um, that, that it was imminent that Russia was going to evade invade Ukraine. So we had very short fuse um to, to get everything on that base packed up, um secured, um, because we were gonna leave nothing behind. So if so if Russian troops walked onto that base, they you know, in, in essence they would never be able to tell that American soldier had been there so it was quite an undertaking uh i don't think any of us slept for i don't know maybe it was two or three days it kind of runs together now but then uh mid-february is i'll never forget it, it was about three o'clock in the morning the, the convoy left uh that combat training center in Yavrov. we crossed over into poland um continued all the way across poland into germany um, and then ended up in a place, um, um, a, uh, a base called Grafenwehr, Germany. It's in south, southeastern Germany in the Bavarian region um, as part of the 7th, 7th Army Training Command, a pretty big outfit over there. So we ended up there after, I don't know, maybe a 24-hour 20, uh, ride, uh, continuous movement from, from Ukraine into Germany. So once we got to Germany, we were there for, gosh, it, it seems like maybe a week, maybe maybe as many as 10 days, really not knowing what we were going to end up doing. Uh, you know, the, the thoughts ranged from, okay, well, we, we can't, we're no longer here, um, you know, to train Ukrainians, so they're going to send us home early. Or are they, were they going to retask us since we were already mobilized and deployed in Europe? Were they going to retask us for some other purpose? Mission, but um, like I say, about after a week week or so, we got um, word from very very high up um, channels that we were going to stay right where we were. Number one, and two, uh, by God, we were gonna we were gonna continue what we were doing. So that became a a very interesting and very complex operation to to get troops, Ukrainian troops, off the front lines with the Russians. Um, and and get them, you know, all the way across Ukraine, out of Ukraine, and and down into Germany, where we were, um, without without them being detected, um, and and wiped out. Just getting them from there to us, and then back again. So we we began doing that. Um, like I said, about a week, ten days after we arrived in Germany, it was a heck of an operation. Um, and we did that. We we would have, I don't know, anywhere from from fifty to a, a few hundred soldiers um, come in at, at a time, and we would train them on different things, different weapon systems. Um, not only how to fire them, but how to how to move them, how to operate them, how to maintain the equipment. Um, and and once they met a certain proficiency level, we'd put them back. Um, on a, well, I'm not going to talk about how we got them, but we we would get them back into into ukraine back back to the back to the front to to continue to fight fight with russia and um you know regardless of what what your stance may be on whether how involved the United States should be in that particular conflict um I can tell you it was it was a, a humbling experience it was awe inspiring um, we, we, I believe we ended up training while we were in Germany, at least we ended up training well over 5,000 different, uh, personnel from Ukraine. And, you know, in the planning process, one of the things that we, I can remember thinking about, and, and as a, as a command group, we were having, you, you plan for all types of contingencies. And one of the more minor things, um, that it does stick out in my in mind was, you know, what are we, what are we going to do? With the soldier that just just doesn't want to go back to the front, what are we what are we going to do with the soldier that walks off base and tries to blend into the local population in Germany? Well, out of the five, approximately five thousand that came to Germany and trained, not not the first incidents of that. Very proud people, um, very determined soldiers. So, as beneficial as it, I'm sure it was to the. The armed forces of Ukraine. Um, it, it it also benefited, you know, myself and a lot of other folks that had the honor of of being able to participate uh, uh, in that mission. So that that's really that really kind of takes you from from you know. And I can I can remember when my just as a as an aside, you know, I, I would hear from not not very often because my communication was very limited while I was over there, but um. I would hear from people that would ask, you know, like, "What in the, what in the world is the Florida National Guard doing yeah. in in Ukraine?" <laughs> um, and and you know that really kind of kind of it, it really bleeds over into our current mission. You know, I'm a, I'm in the state of Texas right now in Del Rio on the border, um, in Southwest Texas, and the border on the border, right on the Rio Grande River. But a lot of folks don't understand. You know. The different mission sets or roles that the National Guard plays, and how we're different from, for example, the Army Reserve. Um, our we really have two commanders in chief um, in the National Guard, and, and these two missions really um, kind of demonstrate the difference. So, the Ukraine mission, um, we were activated by the President of the United States, or the Commander in Chief. We were put in a federal active duty status. And when that occurs, we go and do what the President of the United States, um, Secretary of the Army, the chain of command, directs us to go do. Not much different than um, the unit that I'm with, but they have served in just about every every conflict um, that the United States has ever been involved in. This unit has deployed to Afghanistan, for example, multiple times, Iraq, multiple times. And... um, Lord, I don't know if you had a chance to read a, a short article I, I sent you yesterday, but if I could take a moment just to to uh, maybe digress a little bit and talk about Iraq, um, and and how proud I am to be in the Florida Army National Guard, and how proud I, I think uh, your audience and the other citizens of the state of Florida ought to ought to be um, in, in really what what the guard does. So. The only, thing, the only thing you're being asked to do is give,
1: your, give your role, your rank, and what you do. You alluded to commander, so we have a former Vietnam vet here. who's curious about that. What is your title and what are you doing
2: there?
0: Right, right. My title, so I've had a few different um, military specialties, but right now and for the past, um, gosh, I don't know, a dozen years or so, um, right now I'm the command judge advocate for the 53rd um, Infantry Brigade Combat Team, Florida Army National Guard. So I'm i I'm an attorney on the outside. I'm an, I'm an attorney on, on the inside uh, or excuse me, in the when I wear a uniform, do a lot of different things as a JAG officer from, um, operational type work to, um, unfortunately misconduct sometimes when soldiers, when soldiers are soldiers, but, um, but back to, back to Iraq, if I could just real quickly yeah. just for a couple minutes, um, let your audience know. Um, so, um, the opera, um, Let's see, that was in, yes, 2003. Well, actually, the the unit was was activated in 2002 for uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, They deployed to the Middle East, and your Florida Army National Guard were the first combat troops, boots on the ground, in the country of Iraq. They um, assisted the U.S. 5th Special Forces and uh, breaching a berm between uh, the country of Jordan and Iraq and moved into the country with the 5th Special Forces um, and continued on in the mission. And the significance of that, number one, it's, it's pretty darn significant that, that a, a National Guard unit was first boots on the ground in that, in that operation that lasted for many years. But the same is true on the backside. Um, 2010... Um, the Guard was uh, mobilized and deployed to Ar- Operation Iraqi Freedom and, <clears throat> excuse me, pardon me, uh, your your Florida Army National Guard was the were the last combat troops that exited the country of Iraq as part of Ar- Operation Iraqi Freedom before that operation terminated. So they have the very rare and proud distinction to be, as we refer to in the Army, your first in, last out. So you get a flavor of the, of the federal missions that, that the Florida National Guard is involved in from Ukraine to Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, I was deployed in 2015, 2016 to the Horn of Africa. Uh, but lots of places in between, um, those, those different countries, your, your Florida National Guard shows up and, and carries out, uh, missions that are assigned. Um, so the, the converse, or the uh, or the second role, and most of your listeners are familiar with this part of it, is is when the governor of the state of Florida is our commander in chief. When when Governor DeSantis, for example, or when there's a hurricane, the National Guard is activated under a state active duty status, as opposed to the federal status, and we provide hurricane relief. Or were activated um, for riot control, like we were a couple years ago. We had units that were deployed to Washington D.C. for the riots that we all, I'm sure we all recall, uh, occurring a year or two ago um, up in up in the District of Columbia. To what we're doing right now. So there's a, a there's an interstate compact between Texas, Florida, and several other states. And when a governor of a particular state declares a state of emergency or is in need of assistance. Um, other states that are members of that compact um, agree to, to come and provide assistance. So um, Governor Abbott has declared and did several years ago, I believe, a state of emergency along the southwest border. And our governor, Governor DeSantis, answered that call and, and has deployed, uh, I guess it's roughly about 800 National Guard troops, uh, over 100 Florida Highway Patrol personnel, um, Florida Fish and Wildlife folks that are patrolling the Rio Grande River. And I've had, the, I've had the good fortune to run into several of those folks since we've been out here. Um, but so that's what we're, 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 we're doing. Down here on the border, org, um, my unit, we are stationed in Del Rio, Texas, um, and we're running operations in Del Rio, and then about an hour south in a, in a place some of your listeners, I'm sure, have heard of. When At least when the, when the border topic comes up, it's a place where, known as Eagle Pass, Texas. Um, and then we have a a smaller contingent way up north and west, um, about as far west as you can go in Texas and El Paso at the border there. Um, I have not been to El Paso as part of this operation. So I, I am down in Del Rio. Um, and we are, we are assisting the Texas National Guard, um, United States Border Patrol and a few other entities and really, you know, watching that border those various, those active sectors every single day, uh, reporting information and, and assisting our partners in, in, in trying to prevent, or at least slow down the flow of, of the, the traffic moving from Mexico into the, into the country.
1: Well, have you got any success with that? Because um, uh, we hear people going down to the border all the time and nothing much changes. So now that you're there and you're our eyes on the ground there, uh, is it as chaotic as um, I guess we're led to believe it is and as porous as we've been told it is, or is it, you know, I I just need to hear on behalf of the listeners and viewers here a little more detail because we, you know, we get so many different versions of this depending upon what the political influence is. And you and I talked about this before we went on the air. We're about right, really into the politics of this. We're just into the, this, the social issues of this—is um, it—is it uncontrollable, or are we getting
2: anywhere?
0: Oh yes, sir. We're we're getting. We're we're definitely making a difference. Uh, the, the Texas National Guard, the folks that are are down here, the Florida Highway Patrol, the the the, the Florida Fish and Game folks. Absolutely. I would not. Um, I, I I would not ref, ref, characterize it as chaotic or, or, or chaos. I would say that there is certainly a very steady and sometimes heavy flow of of crossings across the the river because in many places you can just you can just flat walk across the river um, and and they do it and they do it routinely so um, eagle pass very busy sector um, very very busy sector um, you know we can, I, it wouldn't be uncommon to to I don't know, for one particular observation point, and we have literally dozens, to encounter a few hundred a day. And that's just one point in, you know, either Eagle Pass or Del Rio, right? It's just one point. So that's a pretty heavy heavy flow. i um, not sure up about uh, – I, I haven't read anything or had any communication with our folks up in El Paso, but, um, you know, it's it's really – I don't know what, I had never been to Southwest Texas, had not seen in person the, the Rio Grande River. What's, what I found, I don't know if it's comical or odd or interesting, but on the United States side of the river, and, and particularly like in Del Rio, um, citizens, they're, they have they own riverfront property. Just like you might see down on the, you know, the Suwannee River, the itchituckney River, Santa Fe, this riverfront property homes built right on the river docks out into the river um but in between um those types of things you can you can just there, there's a lot of flow so again i don't i wouldn't call it chaotic ward but it is it is certainly um it, it it's nonstop. i would i would i guess that's how i would leave it
1: we have a question here uh if you can answer this, what are your orders regarding engagement with illegals?
0: I would, I would not be able to, <laughs> unfortunately I would not be able to, to to divulge that or talk about that. Okay. It, it's because we have an ongoing operation and for operational security purposes, we we certainly don't want um, folks on the other side of the the river to understand what our our limits are. And when, when it comes to that,
1: I got you. Well, you know, um, that's uh, they were the, the well, I briefed them before you came on that that would be the case. You could maybe answer the questions, maybe not. Um, so the um, back to Ukraine, you know, you were talking about the, you know, I'm
2: just amazed, David, at the quality of determination and commitment that the
1: Ukrainian male. And I'm assuming that most of that army of Ukraine is male, although, I'm, you know, there might be a false assumption or naive
2: assumption. They just don't quit. You know, they're not backing up as I'm about, we got the right impression of that.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. From From my perspective, Ward, that is that is absolutely 100 percent correct. And it reminds me of a quote I read one time from General Patton, and, and I'm going to butcher this, and this, this is not exactly, but the the, the, the the gist of what he said one time was it's, um, in essence, hey, all this equipment is great, you know, tanks are great, the rifle's great, but it's the, the heart of the soldier that wins the battle. And uh, I would say that is, is applicable to, to that current conflict. You know, when that, before it started, before Russia crossed the border into Ukraine, I think conventional wisdom, you know, most of everything you read suggested that that would be a very quick um, scenario. It it would, it would, it would be over in a matter of weeks or a few months. And here we are, what almost a year and a half into the conflict um, with with Ukraine, really not slowing down, maybe even picking up momentum right now. And uh, you know, of course, they're getting, they're getting, they're receiving a lot of equipment, a lot of technology. Which absolutely helps. It's a game changer. But I tell you, their their resolve um, is something that I take away the most from my experience with them. They are just absolutely determined um, not not to lose.
2: Yeah, I. um,
1: I don't want to say this too strongly because it's not fashionable to say it right now, but that's what it was like with the South fighting the North in our civil war. Because the North invaded the South's land. And that was when you invade somebody's home. The instinct of the human being is to defend that home. And the cost and, you know, and then the Civil War is a part of Memorial Day, of course, uh, demonstrates that um, so so handily. Grant had to use about five or six times as many men to kill one southern guy to beat him down. And I'm impressed by how close it must be to the numbers in Russia. Putin doesn't seem to value his own people's lives. He slings them at the front and slings them at the front. Uh, he has these hired mercenaries in there. Um, I mean, that's my perspective on it. And, and uh, I just you don't have to comment on it if you don't want to. But, but um, you invade somebody's home and you got a problem. You know, you really got a problem. and
0: that's. I think me. that's exactly what, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I okay. agree with you. I think that's exactly what you're seeing in Ukraine. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's value, um, again, regardless of what what um, people may think about whether or how much involvement the United States should have in that. You know, there's a lot of uh, benefit from the united states just being able to observe russia fight in ukraine that's when we, we heard, learn a lot about their tactics their proficiency everything from logistics to you, you name it. it it's very telling um so but but i do agree with you and i think that's what you're seeing in ukraine is this just determination to defend the, the homeland um and the pride with which they uh Carry themselves and what they and with which would they fight it's 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 uh, like I told you I think I mentioned a few minutes ago in uh, working with them in, in ukraine and in germany their their determination and um, is just was just uh, it was remarkable
1: we have a question here coming in from someone who actually is living in Mexico right now if you can address this maybe you can't what percentage of the illegal immigrants coming in that you see are Mexicans and what percentage are Central Americans? What, uh, is there any way, of, do we know that? Is that noble? I,
0: I I don't know. Well, so, so the short answer is I'm not aware of any official statistics. So this is just David Robertson's personal um, observation. Uh, so I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody, but myself I, from, from what I've been able to observe, um, I, I don't think many of of the people that we are interdicting are from Mexico. Uh hear a lot of folks uh, maybe from Guatemala, Honduras, even Venezuela, uh, but not not too many, at, 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 if any, from, from Mexico.
1: Venezuela would certainly make sense because I can't think of a better example of how to ruin a country uh, <laughs> than to take a look at Venezuela. You know, that was once... Sure, that- sure. That was once a very self-sustainable country with uh, sound economy and oil and a lot of other things, beaches. And, and you know, now you've got people, I guess, rummaging through um, trash cans. I mean, it's just so that that would make that would make some sense.
2: Um, does it look yep, like sir. most of these people have really come a long way on foot to get here?
0: Yes, sir. It sure does. Um, there's a, you know, there's a, again, from my perspective only, um, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting from, you know, you sit in Florida or wherever you may be and you have a certain opinion about, about the border and and what we should be doing down there, but there's a human, human side of this equation too. So yes, there, you can tell, or at least a lot of the folks that I've seen, um, yeah, they look like they haven't eaten and I, who knows when. The the only thing they own are the clothes on their back. So extreme desperation. They're scared. They're confused. They're hungry. Um, Yeah, there's there's a human element to it. Um, Are you there? Yeah. Sorry, I thought I I thought I lost you there. No, no, I was just listening. (laughs) Maybe maybe we did leave out for a second.
1: Any 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 concept here? We hear much about it. Of uh, how many drugs are coming across?
0: Um, I I know not from my not, not I have not seen that occur. I mean, I, I know I think we all know here that it's going on. I'm sure it is, but I have not personally encountered um, any of that since I've been here.
1: David Robertson, who is with the Florida National Guard on the Rio Grande near Del Rio, Texas, as I understand it. Talk to us by phone. And if you have any questions, I'll pass them along. Who has also been with the Florida National Guard in Ukraine and deployed there and some other places as well.
2: Hey, Ward, did I lose you?
1: No. Can you hear me?
2: Hello, hello. Uh, Can you hear me? I can hear you, David. Ward? Hello, Zach. We got him on. Hey,
0: Ward. I'm... Yeah, we can hear you, David. Oh, okay. I, I could hear nothing. So I'm, I'm not sure where I, where, where I left off, but I, I lost you there for a minute or two.
1: No, what I was talking about, I think what I was talking about was I was giving a summary of where you've been with the Florida National Guard and that you take your orders and sometimes from the president of the United States and other times from the governor of Florida. And uh, that's an interesting kind of chain of command issue. Um it, it,
0: it surely is. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to a lot of places Ward. I, I've been to Ukraine, Poland, Germany, Albania, uh, in the Horn of Africa, Djibouti, um, a little further south in Kenya, uh, Kuwait and gosh, any number of states within our, our country. It's been a um, of course, I love what I do. And, and we are all very, very proud to to represent the state of Florida and the governor. Um, over here in Texas doing the best we can do to to help um, help over here on the border.
1: You're a captain. Is that the rank? Uh, No, sir. I'm a major. You're a major. I think you did tell me you made that.
0: Yeah. Well, soon, soon, if you, if you knock on wood with me, uh, I'll I'll be a Lieutenant Colonel here before in the next couple of months.
1: Uh, You'll be a Lieutenant Colonel. Well, I tell you that Um, my, my father came out of the world war two as a Lieutenant Colonel. And, um, He got into that war from ROTC. You know, he was going to the University of Illinois, studying civil engineering, and nobody dreamt there was going to be a war. And it was obligatory to kind of take the course of ROTC on the college campuses, which he did. And um, my mother tells a story. I don't know if I ever told you this story, David, but. um, There was, uh, of course, the awareness that there were issues possibly with the Japanese and. Uh, the Y area, but nothing um, to indicate, you know, what was going to ensue. But nevertheless, the men, my uncle, after whom, see, the way I was named and my, my mother gave me my father's names. I actually have a first name is Thomas, but, and she gave me my, her brother's middle name, Ward. In case neither came back, I would carry their names. That was her thinking. And, and of course, uh, they both came back, and so there were too many Thomases in the house because my father was a junior, so I took my uncle's middle name. My middle name is his name. Anyway, that's the story on that. But they were in in Mississippi uh, because my uh, uncle was the crew chief on the B-17s, and they were training there. I think it was Biloxi. And my father, he'd been training in the desert, okay, because if something happened, they thought they'd go to – Rommel in Africa. And they were sitting there having a picnic lunch, knowing that things were kind of tight when the radio crackled and news came out of Pearl Harbor. And my mother says, without saying another word, they all finished their lunch without speaking, finished, folded up the um, um, picnic material and from that point on, went their separate ways. And boy, did the world change from that moment. And the first thing that happened to my father is he'd been trained to go to the desert, had been training in the desert, the United States, and was sent to Pacific <laughs> with the <laughs> 77th seventy seventh Combat Engineers and went to Okinawa and Iwo Jima, Guam, all that bloody stuff. And he always says, Man, you can't trust the government. God knows they were going to send me to Rommel, and I went chasing the Japanese. Incidentally, he tremendously respected that soldier. He said, that Japanese soldier, you better come with everything you got if you want to win that. And now they're turning out because we have Ted Yoho on the show every Wednesday, and Ted is connected very, very well in the Asian world. Japan's turning out to be our strongest
2: ally there, David.
0: Yeah, they, they are. Hey, Ward, just to digress for a second, you and I are going to have to get together and share a cold beverage because my wife's um, family has very, very close ties to the University of Illinois, um, actually donated some of the property from the university and my wife, uh, one of her closest relatives, um, served in World War II and was in ROTC at the University of Illinois preceding the, preceding the war. So we're going to have to get together and compare notes about that.
1: Well, the, 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 the lady who gave the softball team the softball stadium at the University of Illinois is from this family that uh, you and I both know. And uh, she's still alive, by the way. They just featured her. Oh wow! Throwing the softball out for this year's uh, uh, softball games, and her—you know—she's an Eichelberger, and she was she was married, to, I oh. think, to Paul Eichelberger, and uh, 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 that family was a farm family there in Central Illinois. And I, I don't know how they came upon all the money, but uh, Mrs. Eichelberger, <laughs> who is now in, in her nineties, uh, donated all that for the University of Illinois softball. Uh, Lady softball team and facilities, and I think it's named after her. Well,
0: yeah. Well, how about that? <laughs> Small world. Hey, well, listen, Ward. I, I hate to cut this off, but I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go earn a paycheck. Well, you did a great job.
1: Looking forward to seeing you when you get back, and I know you're gonna be uh, sort of undercover for a while. There's no telling where you'll wind up, but uh, let's stay in touch. And thanks so much for talking with us, David. Talking with David Robinson, who is um, on location, if you will. Uh, Right there at the border. Appreciate all the questions came in on the chat line. Uh, We'll break right now. Uh, Come on the break, do our weather, which we normally would have done at the bottom of the hour, which we went through in order to keep uh, uh, David with us. So, uh, David, you can click off if you want. Uh, We'll go to our uh, break for the half hour and be right back. Audience, stay tuned to the Ward Scott Fox. Thank you, David.
2: Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, do Help me! Help! Help! Ward's Weather Report brought to you by Lewis Hole Chevron Station. Support them and get that fossil fuel
1: filled up 64 degrees where we are right now and up to about 88 today, not much promise of rain. Although uh, some of the Southeast will be getting rain uh, right along the coast here in Carolinas and Virginia and on up towards New York. So uh, Memorial day could stay kind of wet in those parts. Um, Here we were uh, looking at pretty good weather and enjoy yourself today on Memorial day. Um, Got a little story for you. You know, I'm always coming up with something that strikes my fancy. And this is about climate change. And of all people, it's about Jane Fonda. And the reason I bring Jane Fonda in is she was such an anti-war person. I saw her on the University of Florida campus. Um, You know, just somebody who knew everything. Well, she claims now that climate change is being caused exclusively, this is in Breitbart, by men and specifically white men and also has gone so far as to saying that those white men who have caused climate change uh, should be arrested and jailed. What? That's Jane Fonda. Uh, she was speaking at the Cannes Film Festival in France, and there she promoted her radical climate activism efforts, saying that the world has about seven to eight years to cut fossil fuel consumption in half. And she also said that Poor people of color, as well as populations in the Southern Hemisphere, will be hit hardest by global warming. Uh, This woman's covering all of her bases. My golly. And she's saying it in France of all places. She says it's a tragedy that has to be absolutely stopped. And we have to arrest and jail these men. And she said they're all men. She excluded women completely from this. It's all men. Okay. Uh, the feminists, um, really, environmentalists, nah, it can't be them. Um, she failed, of course, to mention China, which isn't run by white men. China ranks as the world's largest polluter right now. It emits more greenhouse gases than all the developed nations combined. And so she says when she's says she's fighting the climate crisis, She feels that she's also fighting patriarchy and racism. She's throwing it all in there. And she says it's because we have to get out of the silos. Um, You know, she was, as I say, uh, an activist during the Vietnam War. And um, she's never been short of opinions. And they have always been kind of goofy. Um, What can you say? Um, She says it's good for all of us to realize Uh, that there would be no climate crisis if there was no racism. Now, I don't know how she bounces around like a frog from lily pad to lily pad. Uh, There would be no climate crisis if there were no patriarchy. And uh, so she says a mindset that sees things in a hierarchical way. That's the way white men see it. And um, they're at the top of the hierarchy. So she says you can take anything, sexism, racism, misogyny, homophobia, whatever, the war, study it, and it'll get you right back to climate crisis. Huh? Well, she ranked, She uh, uh, revved this up as her latest uh, uh, soapbox uh, in 2019 when she led a series of protests in Washington, D.C. There she was arrested on Capitol Hill, and since then she has organized Fire Drill Fridays, which are a series of in-person and virtual climate protests that recruit Hollywood celebrities to champion her cause. My golly, I didn't wouldn't believe that if I hadn't read it. I have no trouble believing it. Uh, it's incredible, but um, there it is, and it's uh, I guess it's a way to close out Memorial Day. So I have a great Memorial Day and. Uh, Hope you uh, enjoy whatever you enjoy today. Just, if it's nothing more than your friends. And uh, Jane is delusional. Yeah, I understand. John, have a great, have a great day. Warthog Command Center out.